0: Well, a lot of Christians can look back on a period of their life when they would say, and maybe you would say, I was a believer then, but I wasn't acting like it. I was a Christian, I believed, but there was a period of my life when I was not acting like a believer. For some, this is just a moment, what I would call a big, ugly moment, where you blew up on somebody or fell suddenly into immorality and got right back out of it or something else. And very quickly you turned back from it and you look back on it and you say, that moment was so out of step with what I believe and what I even do now. And for others of us, this is a long period of our life. Some of us can look back uh, with regret and say, I knew better. I knew the gospel of Jesus. I knew his ways. Why did I live with my girlfriend for three years what, why did I fall into those philosophies and ideas for so long? Why did I hold on to bitterness against my parents for so long? Some of us look back on that and we're kind of confused by it. There's a little tension there, right? I knew better, but, but, I, but I did that. What was going on there? And still others of us have similar thoughts and confusion, you might say, about people that we love in our lives, some of you tell me stories of your adult children or your brother or your sister and you say things like, I saw them come to Christ, I saw them get baptized, I saw them attend Sunday school faithfully and learn the Word of God, and then they grew up and they went a very different direction, some of them while still claiming to believe in Jesus. And so we look at it and you're you're like, well, what's going on? They're still claiming to be believers, but their life isn't matching up with it. What's, what's going on there? Well, I think the Lord means to speak to those very situations today, because we are about to read a piece of the letter to the Corinthians that shows that the Corinthian people were doing the exact same thing. Paul has acknowledged this church as full of saints, he says, to the saints who were in Corinth. He acknowledges their faith in Jesus, and he treats them like they are believers, But he is about to tell them that they are not living and are not acting by believers. And the language he uses to talk about that can help us understand some of those periods in our own lives when we were astray and aren't sure what to make of it, or even some of our loved ones. So I pray, even as if perhaps me bringing that up brings up a wound in your heart or something that's tender for you, I pray the Lord would reach and touch that to heal it this morning. The Lord exposes wounds to to heal them, not to be cruel or to torment them. And I pray he would do that exactly for us this morning. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're calling that series Holy Love. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth who had fallen deep into the immorality and the self-centeredness of the world around them. And he's writing to call them back to a life of holiness and love. And that's why we're calling this series Holy Love. Today we look at some words that might help us sort out some of those periods in our own Christian walk when our lives were not matching up with what we believe or our walk was not matching up with our talk. Uh, And I pray the Lord blesses you deeply as we do that. Let's look together at 1 Corinthians 3. And we'll read the first four verses. Paul speaks to a divided, pride-filled church of earnest believers. And he says, "But, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? These are the words of the Lord, and I believe the Spirit wants to use them this morning to guide his people out of immaturity or backsliding, if we are in either one. So, the story here is that this church in Corinth, uh, Paul had preached to for a year and a half, and he brought the gospel to them. Many people came to Christ in Corinth, and then he left for several years and is now writing to them. Uh, In that time, they have evidenced faith in Jesus Christ, but their ways of living have become less and less like the teachings of the Bible. They have become full of immorality in their church. Uh, They are divided and arguing over which of their teachers and preachers is the best, taking pride in the fact that they have men like Peter and Paul preaching to them. Uh, They're mistreating the poor when they gather for the Lord's Supper and treating the Lord's Supper with contempt. So many ways that their lifestyle is out of step with Christian teaching. And Paul writes to them to essentially say, the first time I was with you, I gave you basic Christian teaching in the gospel because you were young believers, you were new believers, and that was all that you could manage. And the trouble is, he said, it's been years and it's still that way. I still have to feed you milk instead of solid food because you haven't grown up into maturity. Or perhaps they had grown to maturity for a while and have slid back into living like the world. So they think of themselves as being the highest and loftiest of the churches, right? They have bought into worldly wisdom. They are bragging about how great their teachers are. They think themselves to be a great and wise church. And Paul is writing to say to them, actually, you're still babies. And so I need to humble you and I need to give you milk again. As he does that, he gives us two categories that help us think about some of those times in our own lives when our walk wasn't matching our talk, or maybe a believer we know whose life isn't matching up with what they believe. Now, before I get to what those two categories really are, uh, I want to give you one caveat, and that is that these two explanations he gives are not the only thing that may be going on if someone's walk doesn't match up with their talk. Sometimes, One can profess to be a believer but live like an unbeliever because they actually are an unbeliever, right? It is possible to deceive yourself into thinking you have received the gospel when in reality you have received something else and that might be why what's coming out isn't what's supposed to be coming out. It is also entirely possible for someone to know just what mom and dad want to hear And so tell mom and dad just what they want to hear and then go on by their lifestyle. It could be possible they're deceiving us or deceiving you. So there are other possibilities here, but Paul gives us two possibilities for someone who really is a believer, but their life isn't fully matching up with that in significant ways. Those two categories are spiritual infancy and spiritual backsliding, spiritual infancy and spiritual backsliding. We'll spend the whole morning this morning going through those two, what they mean, what Paul has to say about them, and most importantly, how to climb out of them into a life that fully reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, first category he gives to us is spiritual infancy. You can see that in verses 1 and 2. Particularly in verse 1, toward the end, he says, I spoke to you as infants in Christ. This speaks to a broader truth about the Christian life that the scriptures speak of. uh, And that is, when you come to Christ, uh, you are newly born. The scripture says, Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, And it says in another place, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And so if you have been born again to new life, well, guess what you are at first? A baby, right? This is what we might call a baby Christian or spiritually immature or spiritually an infant, right? We start off as babies. And then over time, how do babies grow into mature adults? Through a lot of milk and a lot of feeding and a lot of mess and a lot of diapers as well, right? That tends to be how it goes. Uh, Not just one bottle, right? But over and over again, you feed that infant. And Paul is using milk here as that analogy for basic truths of the gospel. After weeks, months, years of just soaking in the basic truths of the gospel, the Lord grows us into maturity, That's a state where we have the basics of the gospel very well sorted out, worked all the way through our heart, and our lives are not out of step with the Scripture in any significant way. We still sin, even when we're mature, but there's not any major gap in Christian character. This is what James is speaking of when he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Uh, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He doesn't mean sinless. He doesn't mean you're trying to grow to be sinless, but you're growing to a state of maturity. How do you do that? By staying faithful to Jesus through a number of trials and feasting on the pure spiritual milk of the gospel. So that's one of the analogies the scripture gives for that slow growth into maturity that comes when we come to Christ. Another picture that it uses, though, is a tree, and a tree works the same way, right? The Lord speaks of the gospel as a seed that is cast into the earth, and it's cast in many places, and in some places, the soil is good, and it takes root into that soil, and eventually it sprouts out, and you can see the effect of, oh, a seed has taken root here. I can see the effects of faith in this person's life, but, you know, it's a little sprout this tall. And then it grows more and more, and Psalm 1 says the one who just delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by the river, right? Just receives that nourishing water over and over again and eventually is yielding its fruit in season. It takes time to grow from that little sapling to a full mature tree that can bear fruit. And even then to the mighty and gigantic oak tree. It just takes a little time to grow up into that. Now, once we reach maturity, we still grow, it's just hard to tell the difference between last year's 52-foot-tall oak tree and this year's 53-foot-tall oak tree. You may not notice that in your backyard when it happens, right? And we've got many mature Christians here who would tell you, yes, it has been my 70th year with walking with Jesus, and I have grown. But we look at them and say, I can't imagine how you could possibly still be growing, right? Well That's why, because it's hard to tell the difference between a 52- and a 53-foot oak tree when you're staring up at its towering beauty. So those are some of the pictures the Scriptures give to us of that slow growth that sometimes happens. So it's entirely possible then for someone to walk into church on a Sunday morning uh, without faith in Jesus Christ and with with heroin in their veins, right? Addicted to heroin and they just coming down off of a high, sitting in church, hearing the gospel of Jesus, and for them to come to faith in Christ Even while that stuff is still in their system, even while they're still hooked on it, And you can imagine a person like that, it's going to take a little time before they can bust out of that. Now, sometimes the Lord just says, boom, you're free, right? But sometimes it takes time and battle and fighting, and it may be a year before they're totally clean from that stuff. And it may be three years before the whole rest of the mess that they've made of their life is cleaned up, and you can look at them and say, that looks like a mature Christian there. It's not that their faith isn't genuine sometimes. Sometimes it's just that we come to Christ from really messy places, and it just takes a while to grow out of that. And the scripture gives us a category for that, spiritual infancy. We start off as babies in deep need of the milk of the gospel. So the point Paul is making here within that category of spiritual infants is this. It's that young believers grow by drinking milk. How do babies grow up? Feed them a whole lot of milk, right? Over and over and over. And they are hungry for that stuff. And after you've given them enough of it, then maybe they're ready for a little baby puffs or Cheerios. And then we move on to the mashed carrots after that. And eventually they're eating chicken tenders and fried fish and steak with all of the rest of us, right? It's the same way in our walk with Christ. By drinking the basic teachings of the gospel over and over again, we grow into maturity. So, the book of Hebrews uses the same kind of wording. Uh, Hebrews talks for about four chapters about the beauty of Jesus Christ and warns its readers, don't leave Jesus, right? Just simple basic truths about Jesus. And then he says, okay, that was milk. Let's move on to the solid food. And he uses that same analogy of milk and solid food. And he lists some of the sort of teachings that qualify as milk. The resurrection of the dead, baptism and what it means, what it means that the spirit dwells in believers, the gospel of Jesus and who he is. Those basics of the gospel, that's milk. And then he moves on to the solid food and it gets dense. He starts talking about who Melchizedek was and the Melchizedekian priesthood and people who have been Christians for 50 years are like, I am lost. This is some deep stuff. John Owen wrote seven volumes that thick on that stuff that he writes after that. There's solid food after that that is tough to digest. And Paul is saying here, when I was with you guys and when you were young in your faith, I just fed you milk over and over again. He said I, earlier, he says, I know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. James says, as I mentioned earlier, that through the trials and testing of our faith that produces that steadfastness and maturity within us. And 1 Peter 2 in verses 1 and 2, he says, like newborn babies long for that pure spiritual milk. Again, referring to the basic teachings of the gospel. So the broader teaching in the scripture here is that we start off as babies in Christ And by clinging to him through many trials, and by just drinking deeply of the basic truths of the gospel, we grow up over time into maturity in Christ. Now, before we go on to applying that to our lives, let me share with you a few ways the churches have gotten that wrong in the past, lest we fall into some wrong ways of thinking about that. Uh, There are some who would interpret a text like this and some of the other ones I gave you with an idea that is called Christian perfectionism. Uh, This was popularized by John Wesley, and it's still popular in the Methodist church. So if you grew up in the Methodist church like me, you may hear something like this. Uh, John Wesley believed that when James talked about trials growing you into maturity, that when it says perfect and complete, that it means literally perfect, like never sin again. Uh, So he taught that it was possible to get to a place where you are so spiritual and so far up there that you never sin again for the rest of your life. Now, he said that he never reached that place himself, Uh, But the scripture says very plainly, the one who says they have no sin is a liar and the truth is not in them, right? You can't get that high up in this life to the point that you're not sinning anymore. And many of his followers in the Methodist church look back on him and him saying, well, you can get to that point, but I never got to it. And they kind of say, well, buddy, if you never got to it, I know I'm not ever going to get to it. It must not even be a real thing, right? So there are many Methodists who would not even teach that themselves, But what has happened that may be a little closer to home is that many really false teachers today—Wesley wasn't a false teacher—but many of today's false teachers have latched onto it, doubled down on it, and even claimed to have reached that place today. So you probably won't hear in a Methodist church something like that today. You might. But you might turn on TV and hear Joyce Meyer say, I don't sin anymore. She teaches that openly. And when people do that, we got to remember the words of 1 John. Someone who says there is no sin in them is a liar, and the truth is not in them. So we are not teaching from this any kind of Christian perfectionism, only maturity, which is a state where largely the Lord has sorted out your character and sorted out the basics of the Christian gospel within your heart. So there's the first way we can go wrong, Christian perfectionism. The second way we might go on go wrong is what's called higher life theology. Uh, That's a little closer to what I'm saying here, but the difference is that higher life theology would say, "Yeah, you come to Christ small, and then you just gotta wait for your moment, and kind of in one fell swoop, whoop! Then all of a sudden you become this great level two Christian." Uh, Rather than slow growth into maturity by meditating on the gospel and by sticking to him in trials, it's more like, now I'm going to date myself here, it's more like Super Mario Brothers, where you start off Little Mario, right? And you're hopping around on little Goombas and stuff, and then you find the question mark box that has the mushroom, and then all of a sudden, bleep, 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 right? Right? And you're big Mario. And now maybe you can go get some fireballs or something real cool like that. It's essentially taking that and putting it on top of the Christian life. You start out small. You start out a level one Christian. Maybe you're still involved in worldly stuff. And you just got to pray. And they'll often say, let go and let God. And then one day, boom, the spirit will hit you. And you'll hit like level two Christianity. You can see how that's a little bit similar to what Paul is saying here. But he says very plainly, for 18 months, I fed you the basic milk of the gospel, right? So it takes time to do this. So the difference is, we're not waiting around for some spiritual epiphany to hit some state of maturity. No, we are going back over and over again to the words of Scripture, Bible study after Bible study, sermon after sermon morning after morning in the word and saying, Lord, would you teach me the word that I might grow more and more? And if we do come to a place of maturity, we don't say, hey, I've arrived, right? We say, Lord, would you keep growing me? Would you make me even stronger in the faith? So there's two ways we've gone wrong in the past as a Christian church. We don't want to go down either of those. Instead, we just want to take what Paul is saying. So how do we apply what Paul is saying to our lives. Well, first thing to do is ask, well, does this state of spiritual infancy, does that describe me? Uh, if you're a young Christian, very likely it does describe you. Uh, but how could you know? Well, ask yourself, do I have the basics of the gospel just sunk deeply within my heart? Let me ask you some questions that might help. When we're here and I talk about sin and the seriousness of sin, Do you know what I'm talking about? And does your heart move and say, yeah, sin is serious. That's a big sinning against God. When when we talk here about the holiness of God and his worthiness to be worshiped and obeyed, is that a message that's deep in your heart? Is is your heart saying, yeah, he's he's worthy of that. When we talk about the seriousness of, of judgment Is that something that makes your heart say, oh, yeah, that that is serious? Is that a deep message that's already there in your heart? What about when we start talking about the perfect life of Jesus Christ and how he was sinless and he lived that perfect life for us? When I say things like that, does that that make sense? Yeah, he lived that perfect life for me. Uh, When we talk about his death paying for our sins, Is it clear in your heart what that means, that his death pays for your sins? We talk about the resurrection of the dead. He rose from the dead to guarantee us eternal life. Is that something that makes your heart leap? Has that message reached all the way to the core of your heart? When we talk about his ascension up into heaven and his soon return to judge the living and the dead and to perfect his people forever, is that something your heart resonates with and says, yes, he is coming back and I can't wait. Have those basic truths of the gospel worked their way into your heart? If so, either the Lord's maturing you or you might be there already. Character matters too. None of us will be sinless in this life. But when you look at your life, are there any really significant ways that your life is out of step with the Scripture? Or has the Lord over time kind of rounded off your character and made you a largely but not perfectly biblically faithful person? The Lord does that in time. He matures us into someone who has well-rounded character. Where are you at there, right? There's a good way to tell. Now, What if you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, this makes sense out of where I am right now. There are ways my life still doesn't line up with the scriptures, and I know that, and I don't like that, and I want to grow out of that, right? I want to reach full maturity. What do I do? How do I get to a life that reflects what I know the Lord wants for me? Well, the answer that James gives that's not in this text is stick with Jesus through some trials and struggles. That will help. The two answers Paul is giving, though, is first, humble yourself. Uh, He is writing this to humble them, right? They think themselves very lofty. He says, no, I had to talk to you as infants, right? So don't be afraid to just embrace that and say, yeah, I'm, I'm still a babe in Christ. I'm still small in Christ. I'm still young in my Christian faith. And then just drink as much rich milk as you can, right? That's how babies grow. You just feed them a whole bunch. What you don't want to do is in a young state of Christian faith, try to dive into the deep stuff and sort it all out before the Lord's even worked out gospel basics. So for instance, don't try to grow into maturity by sorting out a millennial timeline and figuring out when all the stuff is going to happen in the millennium. That's not going to help when you're a young Christian. Don't try to grow into maturity by sorting out how to balance predestination and free will together, right? That's, that's advanced stuff. That's heavy stuff. No, instead, meditate on the goodness of God, the seriousness of sin, the goodness of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the stuff that's got to permeate deep into our hearts. If you spend time after time Drinking that stuff. That's how you grow into maturity. So, that means if you're a new believer, focus on the basics. And for those of you who are mature or who are getting there and you're helping younger Christians follow Jesus, that means a large part of what you need to do to help new believers that you're discipling or teaching is just rehearse over and over again the basics of the gospel. Don't take a new believer through the really advanced second half of Hebrews and tell them all about the Melchizedekian priesthood. They're not ready for that yet. Don't feed them that yet, right? If you feed a chicken tender to a three-month-old, it's either going to cause big problems going down and be fatal, or it's going to do something bad once it gets in there. And in the same way, the scripture says, Knowledge puffs up, right? If our hearts haven't really been reformed by the gospel fully and completely yet, and we start advancing in really deep knowledge, it can turn one prideful and do the same kind of damage that a chicken tender can do in a six week old. So, what do we do when we're taking a young believer along in Christ? Well, rehearse the gospel over and over again. Talk about Jesus' death and resurrection over and over again. Take Paul's words where he says when he was there, he knew nothing among them except Christ and him crucified. Teach them the basics like how to read their Bible and understand it. uh, How to pray regularly. Don't worry about getting real advanced Do the basic stuff. You want some books to take them through? Greg Gilbert has a book called What is the Gospel that you can walk a new believer through? Paul Washer has one called The Gospel's Power and Message. Uh, Lots of good books about there that just go through the basics of Christian teaching. Take them through that over and over again. And when you see maturity, then start taking them through the advanced stuff. Okay, there's the first category. That's where the Corinthians were. The first time he came to them. 18 months with them. They were infants in Christ. He fed them milk. Move on to the second category he gives us, which is where the Corinthians are now at this time of writing. And this is what Paul laments in the second half of verse 2. He says, and even now you're not yet ready. He has set forth two categories of people. The natural man who is just living in the flesh, doing what unbelievers do. And the spiritual man who has received the gospel has new life. And he says, you guys are spiritual people. You have the Holy Spirit in you, but you're living like natural people still. When y'all fight with each other about who's the best, aren't you just acting like the world acts? So they either never grew up or, more likely, they have slid back into living like unbelievers. And that's our second category, backsliding. It's possible to slide back into your old ways. To switch metaphors for a minute, if you think of the Christian life like climbing a mountain instead of like a tree or or a baby growing up, climbing a mountain, backsliding is when you lose your grip for a moment, literally slide backwards into previous sinful patterns, and the Lord in his faithfulness catches you, stops you, puts your feet back upon the rock, and enables you to climb again. Many people have experienced this, often a time of backsliding is marked by coldness in prayer, disinterest in worship, uh, neglect of the Lord's day in gathered worship, often immorality somewhere in lifestyle, and you probably know a Christian who has gone through a time like that. The word for that in the scripture is backsliding, and the words in Jeremiah 3, the Lord speaks to backslidden Israel, and he says with such hope, I will heal they're backsliding. The Lord reaches to His people, and He heals them. He brings them back into right living. Maybe an analogy for this, if we think about kids for a minute. If you've ever parented, you may be aware of this, or all too aware. Uh, It's possible for a child to learn potty training, right? You teach them they get it all right, no more diapers anymore. And then it's possible for them to actually unlearn that and revert back into needing diapers again. Uh, Sometimes a big event happens in their life, a new baby brother or sister is born, they move, Uh, something happens with the parents, and just in kind of the adjustment and shock of that, they forget all the control that they learned and they go back to needing diapers again. And the really strange thing is that then it's actually kind of hard to teach them again and you almost have to wait a little while before you try to train them again. It feels like starting all over. That can happen in the Christian life. You can make great strides toward holiness and then lose your footing and fall back into old ways. It uh, Works very much like that. What Paul says here is that the answer is the same thing, right? He said, I gave you milk, not solid food because you weren't ready for it. And then he says, now you still aren't ready for it. So what's he still giving them? the milk of the gospel, right? So the second point today then is that backslidden believers recover by drinking milk. They recover by soaking themselves in the basic teachings of the gospel. So if you're looking at a part of your life that was like that, or maybe the Lord brought you here today and you would say, that describes my life right now. Like I believe in Jesus. I consider myself one of his followers. But there are significant ways I have fallen back into old patterns. I hope your heart is crying out and saying, how do I get out of that? Right? How do I get back with my feet on the rock? And Paul's answer here is drink as much gospel as you can. Just meditate on the gospel over and over again. First, humble yourself. That's what Paul's doing for his people here, right? They think themselves to be the loftiest of Christians. They are saying to themselves, oh, we have Peter preaching to us. Aren't we fantastic? Oh, but better than that, we have Apollos preaching to us. Aren't we just the best? And then finally, the highest and loftiest says, well, I was here when Paul was here, and he preached to me. So they think themselves to be the great bearded sages of the Christian world, far advanced beyond other Christians. And he writes to them and says, actually, you're babies, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nurse you. How, how humiliating, right? And he doesn't do that out of cruelty to hurt them. He does that because they need to be humbled. So if you're looking at your life and you're saying, this describes me, I follow Jesus, but I have slid back into old patterns. First thing to do is just humble yourself. Say, I have slid back. I'm a backslidden believer. I must come back. How do you come back? By meditating on the gospel of Jesus over and over again. Go back to his word. Read his scriptures. Turn from that sin back into the Lord's arms who welcome you. Find yourself in a good Bible-preaching church, hearing the gospel over and over again, and perhaps most importantly, apply the basics of the gospel to those sins that you were in. If we walk through them, first basic of the gospel is just the holiness of God and how good He is. Can, Can you look upon Him and say, that is the God I've sinned against? that holy God, right? Apply that truth to that sin. And then the goodness of God's ways as he reveals in the scripture. Are you able to say, those, those ways that I have broken were so good, and my life would be so much better if I had just followed him? The seriousness of judgment in the scriptures. Are you able to apply that to that sin and say, If for nothing else, I deserve to be judged forever just for that one sin, just for that one thing I kept doing over and over. The perfect life of Jesus Christ, sinless to all degrees. Are you able to take that and say, despite what I have done, his righteousness is applied to me, and so I am spotless and pure before him. The death of Jesus Christ to pay for our sins Are you able to say, Jesus' blood has paid for that sin, for those sins? The resurrection of the dead guaranteeing life everlasting. Are you able to say, despite those sins, I will rise from the dead because of what he has done for me? his near and certain return when he comes back to restore us completely? Are you able to say he will come back and there will be a day when I will never be tempted to do that again because he will perfect me and make me perfect before all? This is what it means to apply the basics of the Gospels to those, those things. Now, I just poured out the pure spiritual milk of the Gospel all over this place. What you need to do is drink in that over and over again and watch the Lord set your feet upon the rock. Become strong in Him again through the milk of the Gospel. This also means something for those of you who love someone who is backslidden. Some of you love someone who was raised in the gospel and professed it and left and said, I don't believe that stuff anymore. Uh, I'm not talking about them, right? They are denying the faith. But there are some who would say, I still believe that stuff. I'm just not living in it right now. Um, This is actually true of about an eighth of all the people who were attending an American church five years ago. Um, In the last few years, a quarter of all church attenders in America stopped attending and among that quarter, they're split 50-50. About half of them are saying, I don't believe that stuff anymore. I'm done with that stuff. And the other half is saying, no, I still believe. And they can articulate on surveys the truths of the gospel. And they're saying things like, I know I need to get back into church. I know I should be there. I intend to be there one day, but, but I'm not. Right? So they're articulating belief, but they're not living it, and they know it. I met a stranger this week that I just chatted it up with while I was waiting for something. And she said, with some tension in her heart, she said, I'm a born-again believer, but I haven't been to church in years. Right? She wasn't defending herself. She she didn't feel good about that. Uh, there are many people who are living in that state. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you love someone like that. Now, here's why this matters for that. Part of our job is to pull them back in, Right? And for most of us, our impulse is to tell them what they're doing wrong and leave it there, right? Especially if it's your kids, because we're all good at correcting our kids, aren't we, right? Tell them what they're doing wrong and leave it there. But Paul is saying here, no, I didn't just point out what you're doing wrong. He certainly does that many times in the letter. But he says, I feed you with the whole milk of the gospel, right? Meaning he doesn't just point out the wrong, but he shows them the way back. He shows them the goodness of Jesus. Now, when you're talking with somebody like this, they may be insistent that they're right and you may have to say true things from the scriptures to tell them they're wrong. Or you may know them well enough to know they already know what they're doing is wrong. And what they need to hear is that Jesus will receive them back. That's the part that a lot of people deny What they need to hear is that the church will welcome them back with open arms. What they need to hear is that Jesus' death pays for all sins, and it's powerful enough to pay for that sin if you would return to him. That's the milk of the gospel that we need to feed those who have fallen away. So it's not enough just to tell them what they're doing wrong. We've got to guide them back onto the right path. A concept that helps with this is just the word correction. Uh, A lot of us think of correction as pointing out the wrong that somebody's doing. Um, but if a boat is off course, it's not corrected until it's back on course, right? If the navigator says, hey, we're going the wrong way, correction has not yet taken place on that boat, right? No, correction happens when things are pointed the right direction and we're going the right path again. Don't just tell people they're on the wrong path. Show them the right path and help to set them back upon it. Then you fully and completely corrected someone that you won't love. The book of James says that if you can do that, you will save their soul from a multitude of sins. So, there are the two categories Paul gives us there. Uh, spiritual infancy and spiritual backsliding. That doesn't explain every person whose life doesn't match up with their faith. Sometimes it's true unbelief coming out. Sometimes it's other things. But those two may be able to help you look back on your past and understand what was going on. Or maybe they help you with the present even right now. Here's how I want to close. I have told you for several moments now the importance of the truths of the gospel, right? And I just want to close by giving you that gospel, right? Far be it for me to tell you how important milk is and then not feed it to you, right? So uh, hear with all attentiveness the the good truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, It begins with acknowledging how good and holy he is. Uh, It begins with pictures like the one that Isaiah has of the Lord seated on the throne and, and these heavenly creatures surrounding him Uh, with six wings just covering themselves with four of those wings and flying with the other two because they cannot bear to gaze upon his holiness. They're created to be right there before him and even they cannot gaze upon his holiness. That's important because that means that when he says what he says, that our purpose is to fear God and keep his commands, to worship him with all we have and do everything that he says, that he's worthy of saying that, right? He's not just some tyrannical God that assumed the throne and said, you have to do what I tell you to do. No, he is the holy and righteous God who is worthy of being obeyed and worshiped forever. And then it continues with looking into his ways, because he built a real right and wrong into the universe. I think we all just know that lying is wrong, and murder is wrong, and I hope your heart knows that adultery is wrong. That's questioned today, but most of our hearts still know it's wrong. Uh, His ways are good, and there's life in those ways, and that's why it matters so much that we have taken those good ways and shattered them, and taken the worship of that holy God and just shattered it with all contempt. We have sinned before a holy God. Now, that matters because most of us believe in our hearts that those who sin deserve to be judged. Uh, so, we can do that math, right? Say, I deserve to be judged. I am one of those rebels that has sinned against that holy God in those good ways. And if we could tremble for a moment with that thought of what we deserve, uh, then we're ready to hear the good news that in just unbelievable love and grace. He said, I will do the only thing that would remedy this situation. I will send my son to live sinlessly in their place. And, and then he died an excruciating death that wasn't just an example of love. It was an example of love. But was him being condemned and suffering the wrath of God to pay for all of that sin, to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins. And then he laid there dead in the ground. I mean, the thought of it, the God of the universe, dead, buried in the ground. And on the third day... Rose from the dead because what else could happen? He's the God of the universe. Of course, he rose from the dead. And when he did that, he vindicated himself, showing he is good enough to suffice for payment for the sins of his people. He guaranteed resurrection for all of his people. He appeared to his followers for 40 days. Several hundred people saw him. There is as much evidence that he rose from the dead as there is for any event in ancient history. It was recorded so much. And then after 40 days, he commissioned his disciples to go and make more disciples, and he left. And he promises that he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And until he does, the call is open. Come to him and receive forgiveness. That's the good news of the gospel. If you've never trusted in him in that way, my call to you is put all your faith in him. If you did recently and you're new to the faith, my call to you is to drink that message over and over and watch for the change he gives you. And if you've known it for many years, but you've slidden back into old ways, my call is to drink that again, taste that fresh living water, and come back to him. Let's pray together.